All right, good morning. How we doing? Good to have you guys here today. Uh, my name is Pastor Kevin. I'm the pastor here at Restoration Church. Uh, I hope I'm not the first person to welcome you. Uh, we are glad you're here if you're a visitor with us. Uh, I look forward to connecting with you at some point today. And um, just as we get started today, I was thinking about a movie I watched this week. I don't know if any of you guys are movie buffs, uh, but I like to watch a good movie. And, uh, you know, when we watch movies, we love happy endings. We love fairy tales. We love stories where the good guy wins and the bad guy loses, where the poor young man winds up stealing the heart of the beautiful maiden that he rescued. These are the stories that we like to watch. I love the movie, uh, Remember the Titan. This is one of the movies I watch. I have watched these same movies over and over again. I don't know why. Uh, But I love the movie, Remember the Titans, and and when it gets to the end of the movie, I just want to stand up and clap and cheer, because I'm so excited, because it finishes so well, and it just makes you feel all good and happy inside. I don't know if anybody else does that in a movie, where you just want to get up and just, yeah, yeah. Well, so far we've been going through the book of Jonah, and it seems like we're having another one of these great stories with a great ending. It seems like we've gone through this great story. God called Jonah to Nineveh, and well, we know Jonah ran away. We know that Jonah got in a boat to get on, to, on his way to Tarshish. He wanted to get as far from where God wanted him to go. But uh, Jonah falls asleep on the boat, and, and then God sends this storm. God sends this tremendous, huge storm, and uh, the sailors wake up Jonah, and they're like, Jonah, what's going on? And so Jonah just says, you know what? This is my fault. Throw me overboard and let me drown in the ocean. Let me drown in the sea. And so the sailors throw him overboard, and all of a sudden the storm ends. Uh, The sailors then worship God, and God sends this great fish that swallows up Jonah. And this is all in chapter 1. I mean, this this is an exciting story. Eventually, we read that Jonah goes to Nineveh, and he preaches this beautiful eight word sermon. I tell you, how many of you guys would love to hear an eight word sermon today? Yeah, yeah, hey, I saw your hand. I saw that. We'll we'll talk about that later. Um, Jonah preaches this eight word sermon, and the whole city repents. God relents on the disaster he was preparing uh, for Nineveh. And we see what is possibly the greatest revival in history with a whole city of people coming into relationship with God. And you get to the story and you think, yeah, this is a great story. This is one of those beautiful storytale endings. This is awesome, right? Jonah, he's got to be excited. He's got to be happy for what's going on. But no, this is not like Remember the Titans. This is not like our Disney fairy tale stories. We'll find Jonah today in chapter 4. We're going to find him not very happy at all. So if you have a Bible today, we're going to be in Jonah chapter 4. Jonah chapter 4. If you need a Bible and you didn't bring one, we have some ushers in the back that would love to give you one. So uh, just put your hand up. Let that be our gift to you. Uh, Take that home with you. We're in Jonah chapter 4. I don't know what page your Bible is. If you've got one of these Bibles, it is on page uh, 658. And so... uh, uh, if you don't know where it's at, there's this great thing in the beginning of the Bible called the Table of Contents, and I'd recommend you look through there. Um, as we look into chapter 4 today, we see that the book of Jonah has really gone full circle. At the beginning of the story, at the beginning of the book, it was about two personalities. It was about Jonah and God having this conversation. After Jonah ra- ran away, the sailors came into the story, and then eventually we read about the people of Nineveh. And now here in chapter 4, We are again back at God and Jonah, the rebellious prophet. See, this is a way that it is supposed to be. When God gives us work to do, the work usually will involve other people. But at the end, it gets down to the basics. It's always a question of us as an individual and God. 
So in chapter 4, we're going to look at a number of uh, lessons as God deals with Jonah uh, in the depth of his attitude. So we're in Jonah chapter 4, and let's uh, go ahead and read this together. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. The Lord said, Do you do well to be angry? Jonah then went out of the city and sat on the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade till he should, till he should see what would, come, what would become of the city. Now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah that it might shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a storm that attacked the plant. God, excuse me, I got to read that right. God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. And when the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind. The sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die and said, it is better for me to die than live. But God said to Jonah, do you do well to be angry for the plant? And Jonah said, yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. And the Lord said, you pity the plant for which you did not labor nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should, I, and should not I pity Nineveh, the great city, in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left, and also much cattle? It's God's word for us this morning. Amen. Let's pray. God, we just thank you for this opportunity to be in your house today, to be able to come and to worship you and to meet you here in this place. Lord, we thank you for your word, that it is so powerful and, and, and living. And Lord, I pray that you would give us an understanding today. Lord, I pray that our hearts would be stilled and open before you. Our ears would, would have ears to listen today, so we could hear you speaking to us. Lord, we pray for your spirit to fill this place, to fill every one of us. Lord, we thank you for who you are and what you've done and what you're about to do today. We ask this in your name. Amen. So have you ever seen a two-year-old throw a tantrum? I have five kids, my wife and I do, and we have seen a few tantrums in our day. We've seen tantrums from toys being lost to tantrums for broccoli being a part of dinner. I've even seen a tantrum because one of my children thought they were coloring with the color orange when it was really pink, and that turned into a tantrum. Uh, that is part of being a parent. So for you uh, newlyweds, your single folks out there, this is what you have to look forward to. You get to look forward to these tantrums. Fortunately, though, most kids grow out of the tantrum stage. As they get older, they kind of grow out of that stage. But not all of them do. Jonah is an example of one of those people who is yet to grow up from the tantrum stage. And in our text today, from what we just read, Jonah is throwing a tantrum. He is, a, he is pouting that God didn't do things his way. In the Old Testament, different prophets are often called different names depending on their character. For example, uh, the prophet Jeremiah, he was known as the weeping prophet because he was constantly weeping for his people. And so here, Jonah, we see him today, we can call him the pouting prophet. 
Because that's what we see from Jonah. We see God do this amazing, miraculous thing, and he's sitting there pouting. So we're going to call today's message the pouting prophet. And uh, that's where we're going to go today. First thing I want to point out from this, this, uh, this text today is I want you to see Jonah's anger. See, obviously, you can look obviously in this text and you see that Jonah is angry. And that's the first thing we want to wrestle with. Jonah had obeyed God. And, and, and he, do, he had done what God wanted him to do. But God had not done what Jonah wanted him to do. Jonah had his own idea of what God should do. And so Jonah had told the Ninevites that the judgment was coming in 40 days. And that's what Jonah was excited to see. He said, God, this is what you want me to tell them. You want me to tell them that in 40 days you're going to destroy Nineveh. So Jonah obeyed. And Jonah's goal was that after that 40 days, God would do what he was going to said he was going to do. But God didn't do that. God doesn't work the way that we want him to. Jonah felt betrayed. He felt that God had let him down by not destroying the city as, as Jonah had predicted. And I want you to notice that Jonah does not even take the slightest interest into the people of Nineveh. He seems to be so cold-hearted and, and expresses zero empathy for the lost or for the fallen people around him. Jonah does not see a city full of people who were created as God's image bearers who needed to find their identity in God. He should have been happy that God had delivered them. He should have been joyful that God had extended mercy to the people of Nineveh. But that's not what... Instead, we see that Jonah was angry that God had not wiped them from the face of the earth. Now see, honestly, anger is a, is a deep, complex issue. And it's a huge issue for us to deal with. It's no coincidence that the Bible has a ton to say on anger. But in light of Jonah's anger, I want to point out two observations that came from Jonah's anger. They're things that we need to understand and things we need to deal with. First, I want you to see that in his anger, Jonah tries to justify his disobedience. He tries to justify himself, both in his own eyes and in God's eyes. In verse 2, when Jonah says, this is why I didn't go to Nineveh, he's justifying why he didn't obey God the first time. He's saying, God, I know who you are. I know that you are a good God. You are gracious and you are loving and you are merciful. And, 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 I, and I'm going to justify myself here, God, because I know that is who you are. And I knew that you were going to extend mercy and grace. And that's why I didn't obey you, God. He is justifying why he chose to disobey. This is a danger for all of us to justify our, obedience, our disobedience. See, things don't turn out the way we wish so we seek to justify ourselves. And this is what it looks like in, in, in real life. See, I used to work for this guy who, who really gives a good example of justifying your disobedience, justifying yourself. I used to work for this guy. It was a second job for me. And so I, I would go in and, and I'd work all night for him. And he was supposed to come in at a certain time to relieve me so I could go home and get a little bit of sleep before I got back up and had to go to my other job. Just the way it works. And so um, he would be supposed to come in and, and, and I'd be sitting there waiting in 10 minutes, 20 minutes, 30 minutes, 45 minutes, an hour later, sometimes an hour and a half later, he'd come waltzing in. I'm like, man, where you been? I was supposed to go to sleep, you know, this long ago. And, and he'd have all sorts of reasons. Uh, he'd have all sorts of reasons. He'd, he'd walk in and immediately he'd excuse himself and say, well, I would have been here earlier, but, you know, I had to take a work phone call last night. And so I just, you know, I had to take some time off to make up for that phone call I took last night. I'm like, but you left me hanging, man. And then there was another time, it was 
probably the funniest time is uh, he comes in and he says, you know, I would have been here earlier, but I had to stop and get a cup of coffee. And I didn't realize the coffee shop didn't open until later. So I had to wait for the coffee shop to open up. I'm sitting here hanging, really, man? I was supposed to be sleeping by now. Uh, but isn't this what we do? When things don't go as planned, as we, things don't go as we wished, we justify our actions. So we don't have to feel guilty about it. We justify and say, well, it's not really my fault. It's not really my fault that this happened. This is, this is the, the circumstances. Of this, this means it's okay that I didn't do what I should have done. What Jonah needed to realize here was that he is not responsible for the outcome. He wasn't responsible for what God chose to do. It wasn't his place to decide what God was supposed to do and whether that was right or wrong. Jonah's responsibility, his sole responsibility, was to obey. Was to obey God. That's it. When Jonah disobeyed, it didn't matter why. It didn't matter the circumstance. It didn't matter what was going on inside of him. The fact is he disobeyed. And it's the same thing for you and I. We offer all sorts of lame ex- justifications. I can just back and think of some of the justifications I've given when I get pulled over for speeding. You guys ever heard some of these great justifications for speeding? Well, you know, it's the same kind of thing. When we, when we are caught and we disobey God, man, it doesn't matter the circumstances. What we have to do is we have to own up and say, man, I was wrong. I, I messed up. Jonah and his anger isn't able to do that. The second thing we see in Jonah's anger is we see that he tries to use God's word to turn God against himself. Okay? This is, this is funny. This is good stuff here. In verse 2, when Jonah recalls that God's word says that he is a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, relenting from disaster. See, he's recalling uh, Moses. Moses had said the same exact thing, that God is a gracious God and merciful and slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. And what Jonah's doing is he's bringing this back up to God. And he's saying, isn't this what you have said about yourself? So why would you say, so Jonah, when Jonah says this back to God, when Jonah says, God, this is who you are, Jonah's saying, why would you send me to the Nineveh anyways? Saying, why did you send me to Nineveh with this message that you are going to destroy this city? He's, he's, trying to, he's trying to put this back on God, and he's trying to say, doesn't this show you, God, that I am the consistent one, and that, God, you are wrong, because you said you're going to come and destroy Nineveh. He's trying to take God's word and put it back in God's face. He's trying to turn God against God. See, Satan tried the same method of attack on Jesus in Matthew, in, the, in his temptation. Three times Satan brought scripture from the Old Testament in an effort to tempt Jesus and cause him to stumble and to sin. And the picture of trying to tempt God through his character and through his word is a potential danger for us as well. Because we do this same thing. We try to justify our disobedience uh, by um, trying to back our disobedience up with scripture. We say things like this. We say, I can't love and honor my wife because she doesn't respect me like the Bible says she's supposed to respect me. And we justify why we aren't treating our wives right, because our wives may not be living the way that God tells them to live. And we justify our disobedience through God's word. Uh, you teens out there, you kids out there, you say, well, I can't honor and submit, submit to my mom and dad because they aren't perfect. And we justify why we disobey our parents Kids, you would never do this. But we justify why we disobey because our parents have shortcomings. 
Well, you know, we say things like, well, I'm not going to forgive this person who has done this thing to me because they aren't really sorry about it. They haven't apologized. We say things like, well, I'm going to divorce my spouse because God wants me to be happy, right? I mean, I'm going to do this because it makes me happy. And isn't that what God wants? Isn't that what God is for, is to make me happy? And we take God's word and we try to justify what we're doing by saying, God, this is who you are. Isn't this what you want from me? And we begin to make choices that aren't right. And we justify it through his word. This, the picture of this is a Christian who uses the Bible to beat up on other people, on, on secondary issues, making themselves feel superior to any other Christian who doesn't hold the same opinion as them. Don't get me wrong, there are majors in the Bible. There are things that are, are, are absolutely primary that we have to understand and we have to agree to. Salvation being one, we have to agree to, to who God is and the way that he loves us. <laughs> uh, but there are certainly secondary issues that we can have a difference of opinion. And it, and, and it doesn't mean I'm better than you or you're better than me. Paul wrote to Timothy uh, in the New Testament that Timothy was supposed to present himself to God as one approved rightly handling the word of truth. See, therefore, if Paul is telling Timothy to rightly handle the word of God, then doesn't that mean that there is a wrong way of handling God's word as well? You see, the Bible is not a neutral book which one can read and then make arguments from it. The Bible is is an explosive power which must be handled with care. See, we don't read the Bible to justify ourselves. We don't read the Bible to justify our behaviors and make ourselves feel more proud. We're supposed to read the Bible so we can learn about Jesus, so we can have our sin exposed, so we can learn to become more like Jesus. That is the reason that God's given us the Bible. Not so we can justify ourselves, not so we can find arguments for who we are, but so that we can expose our sin and we become more like him. So Jonah, in his anger, he tries to justify himself. Then he tries to use God's word against God. And this led Jonah to the point of depression and suicide. Jonah's response to God's love and God's mercy to Nineveh was saying that it was better for him to die. The question that we have to ask ourselves is, what is wrong with Jonah? What is wrong with him? He should have been happy, but he is unhappy and and is angry. He had been a God's instrument in extending the gift of spiritual life to thousands and thousands of people. He's seen this great revival in front of his very eyes, and now he prefers death. He claimed to be a recipient and to have an understanding of God's grace and mercy, yet he now resents God's for it. It says that he would prefer wrath for Nineveh. So God responds to Jonah's anger with a very simple question. He asks in verse 4, He says, do you do well to be angry? God's response to Jonah and his anger and Jonah's uh, justification is he says, do you do well to be angry? What does this mean? What does this question mean? God is simply challenging Jonah to judge whether the prophet, the angry prophet is right or whether God is right. God is saying, hey, Jonah, we're both looking at the same scenario. We're both looking at the same thing. I'm happy and you're mad. So which one of us has the right perspective? Which one of us here has the right perspective? See, whenever this question is raised, we must recognize that despite whatever our thoughts and whatever our feelings are, God is always correct. God is always right. But Jonah didn't like that. 
Jonah did not confess his error. Instead, Jonah became angrier and angrier. And Jonah got up and he left the city. On the outskirts of town, Jonah constructed a little shelter for himself. And then he sat and he waited to see if maybe God would still change his mind. And maybe God would still come and destroy Nineveh after all. Because deep down, Jonah is still hoping that God would send down fire and brimstone to wipe Nineveh off the earth. Before we move on to uh, our second point, I want to point something out here about, about Jonah leaving the city. See, God had called Jonah... Uh, to Nineveh to preach to the people. And as a result of his preaching, the people repented, the people surrendered to God. And Jonah's role was not yet complete. Jonah's role as a prophet was not yet complete. His job was to stay and to teach them how to continue and to follow God. But Jonah, here we see him leaving the city. Jonah's quitting. He quits God's call for him. Jonah was not willing to help the Ninevites get grounded in their faith and figure out what it means to follow God all of their days of their lives. See, Jonah didn't like the way that God was doing things, so he up and he quit. And he became a spectator outside of the city, looking down on what's going on, watching what was happening. In this same way, too many of us quit what God has called us to do and where God has placed us because things become difficult, because things don't go the way that we imagined. Because our expectations aren't met. Students do this. Students will abandon their work when it gets too hard. Students will stop doing a project or stop doing a test because it gets so hard and it's difficult and we don't understand and we don't know where to go. (laughs) Marriages are thrown away because it's not easy. And we quit on marriage because hard times come. Parents give up on their kids when kids start making bad choices. We will quit church because church doesn't meet our personal expectations of what church should be. Well, church should make me happy, and church sometimes is messy and is difficult. So I'm just going to quit on the church because the church is not what I expected it to be. One of the best things that my mom did for me growing up was she made me play the entire first year of Little League Baseball on the Yakima Reds is the team I played on. This team, I was eight years old, and I was the smallest kid on the team. I was the youngest kid on the team, and we had a terrible team. I think we won one or two games that year. And uh, I remember, I remember, because I was the smallest kid, I had a really small strike zone. And because I didn't know what I was doing, I'd get really close up to the plate, and I'd get really, really crowd the plate. And I remember that year, uh, they let me bat first because I would always, I, nobody could throw me a strike, so I'd always get walked. Or because I was so close to the plate, I'd get hit. I think I got hit 12 times that year. I had bruises all over my left side of my body. And I remember there was this one game, it was a terrible game. I think I got hit three times on this game. Just a terrible game. We lost by umpteen runs, you know. And I came home and I said, Mom, I'm done. I just, I don't want to do this anymore. My mom said, no. She said, no, you made a commitment to this team. You made a commitment and you're going to follow through on your commitment. It's, it, you're not going to quit just because it gets tough. Look, I don't know who this is for today. I don't know who's, who, whose word this is for today, but don't quit. Don't quit. Don't give up. You might be in Nineveh. You might be going through the toughest and hardest time imaginable. Don't quit. God has not called any of us just to be spectators like Jonah was outside of the city. He doesn't call us just to sit on the bench. When God puts you into a place, when God calls you for a purpose, we don't have the right to decide, you know what, I don't want to do this anymore. 
we have a responsibility to stay faithful to where God has placed us. Don't quit. Wherever God has placed you, wherever the hard time is coming, don't quit. Our second point this morning is God, full of patience and grace, he is still not willing to give up on Jonah. I love this fact that Jonah, we repeatedly see him turning against God and going his own direction, and God continually chases Jonah. He continually pursues him. So God goes into an object lesson, hoping to break through to Jonah one more time. He's hoping to show Jonah about his mercy and his grace one more time. So God provides a fast-growing vine that springs up next to Jonah's shelter. I kind of picture a Jack and the Beanstalk type of thing, just growing up very fast. It's big enough to provide shade for Jonah. It grows up in a day. And verse 6 says that Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. See, this is interesting. This is the first time that we've seen Jonah be exceedingly glad. This is the first time we've seen Jonah be happy through the entire book. <laughs> uh, Jonah was pleased because at last, after all of the compassion that God had extended to everybody else, now God is finally doing something nice for Jonah. Completely selfish and completely petty. Having caused the vine to spring up, God then did something else. He caused a worm to attack the vine, so the plant withered away. And after that, he caused a scorching east wind to blow from the desert that was so warm that it brought Jonah to the point of fainting from the terrible heat. And of course, Jonah, in his anger, he gets angrier than ever. And again, he expresses his wish to die. It'd be better for me to die. But having showed Jonah this object lesson, God then begins to teach class to Jonah about mercy offered through this object lesson. He starts out in verse 9 by asking a similar question to the question God has already asked Jonah. He asks Jonah if he has any right to be angry with this vine. This question exposes Jonah's pettiness. For, for Jonah's anger has now be completely consumed him. See, anger, this is the way that anger starts out. Anger will start on a big thing. It'll start on a big thing. Uh, but now anger has completely consumed him. Anger starts out with the big things, but if we let it fist fester, eventually we become angry, even with the small, petty things, like vines and worms. God is showing Jonah where his anger has taken him. It has consumed him. He is trying to point out just how bad that Jonah has it right now. And God continues with us with his lesson in verse 10. He says, you took pity on this vine. Though you didn't tend it, you didn't make it grow, you didn't water it, you, didn't, you, you weren't the gardener of this vine, and you're taking pity on this vine. But he says, the city of Nineveh, which has over 120,000 children, when, it says, when, the, when the Bible says that uh, 120,000 people who don't know their right hand from their left, he's referring to children. Little children don't know the difference between their left and right. He says, the city of Nineveh, which has more than 120,000 children as well as that many cattle, should I take pity on them? If you took pity on this plant that you weren't responsible for at all, should I take pity on these, these innocent people in Nineveh? See, God is making a case for his object lesson on mercy. He's saying, Jonah, you want to pity this dumb vine, this dumb vine that you had nothing to do. But what about all the innocent kids what about all the innocent animals in Nineveh? Don't they deserve your pity as well? Your plant, Nineveh, Jonah, was only there for a day. And it got your pity 
But all of these people in Nineveh, whom I created, whom I have tended to, whom I have planted in the city of Nineveh, they've been there for many, many years. And Jonah, don't you think they deserve your pity as well? This is good news for us. Because this is how God feels about, our, about his creation. This is about how God feels about us as his creation. He takes pity on us. He loves us. That friend of, or family member of yours who's, who's screwing up their life, you may feel the desire to write them off completely and say, you know what? Forget them. Forget them. But God hasn't. You may have been running and disobeying God. You may be doing your own thing and you feel you're about as far away from God as you've done. You feel like there's, there's nothing I can do to make this up to God. And perhaps some of your friends or family members, maybe they've given up on you. God hasn't. God hasn't. His grace, his mercy, still right there for you. He is merciful and gracious. He is long-suffering. He is patient with us. So God's object lesson is cutting like a sharp knife. God is dropping the hammer on Jonah one more time, hoping that Jonah will finally get it. And we think this is where the fairy tale story should come. What happens? Thing is, we don't ever find out. See, the story ends right here. The book ends with that question. We're left wondering what happened. Did Jonah respond? Did Jonah finally get it? Did, or did he stay angry and did he stay bitter? Maybe, maybe we, we say, maybe this is a mistake. Maybe there's another chapter of the book somewhere that we missed and it's not here when we need to go and find where the other chapter is. See, the question is, do you think this is exactly the way the book of Jonah was supposed to end? Leaving us to wonder what happens to Jonah. See, I, I absolutely think that this is the way the book was supposed to end. See, throughout the book of Jonah, we've talked about the story of, uh, of, of Jonah's life and all that happens and, and all that we've read about and studied about. And one of the things I have continually said is even though we read so much about Jonah, I've said this book is not about Jonah. It's not about the big fish. It's about us. I've talked about how, the, how we look at Jonah and I said, we are Jonah. You and I, we are Jonah. Our first week, I summarized the book of Jonah like this. I said, God speaks, Jonah hears and understands. Jonah knows what God will do, what he says. But Jonah does the opposite anyways to try and overpower God's will. He runs away. Jonah quickly realizes that he's in trouble. Yet still he will not admit that he is wrong. And Jonah is taken to the lowest depths, to the belly of the fish where he finally repents. Then Jonah, with very little effort, he does what God initially said to do, but now very stinky. Jonah sees that God does what he said he would do, and Jonah pouts because God did not do it Jonah's way. God then speaks and puts Jonah in his place. You see, the story of Jonah connects with us because we can see ourselves in Jonah. We act like he acts. Listen to the same summary of Jonah, but let's replace Jonah's name with us. God speaks. We hear and we understand. But we know that God will do what he says he will do. But we do the opposite anyways to try and overpower God's will. We quickly realize that we're in trouble. 
yet we still will not admit that we're wrong. We still will not admit that we need help. So we are taken to the lowest depths, to rock bottom where we finally repent. Then we, with little effort, we do what God initially said to do. And we see God do what he said he would do. And we begin to pout because God did not do it our way. God did not cause the result that we wanted to happen. And God speaks and puts us in our place. See, this is fitting that God finishes his book by calling out Jonah and putting Jonah in his spot. Because that's what we need. We need to have God call us out and put us in our place. He is God. He is right in whatever he does. He is gracious and loving and merciful. And you and I, we're Jonah. We're broken. We, we run away. We disobey. We do things the way that we want to see them done, not the way that God wants to see them done. We know that God is good and loving and gracious, and God is better than anything in this world. <laughs> Yet we repeatedly turn away, and we run from God to do things our own way. We know what it's like for God to send a storm after us. We know what it's like for God to take us to the deepest, darkest places where we have nowhere to look but up. And we know what it's like to be angry with God because God doesn't cause things to turn out the way that we expected them to. I don't know where you are today. Maybe you're like Jonah and you've been running away from God. Maybe you're like Jonah, and, and, and you're at rock bottom. You have nowhere to go. You have nowhere to call but up, but to God. Maybe you're like Jonah, and you've reluctantly followed God, not because you want to, but because you realize, man, <laughs> you realize that God's going to come after you until you follow him. Or maybe you're like Jonah and you're angry at God because God does not turn things out the way that you want them to. God does not make things the way that you would like them to be. He doesn't do things the way that you think they should be done. See, the key for Jonah, the key from the very beginning of the book, was that he needed to let God change his heart. Jonah needed to let God change his heart. Yes, he had all the, all the head knowledge. He knew who God was. He knew God's character. But it hadn't yet sunk in deep into his heart. It was his heart that needed to change. See, the heart is the seed of our emotion, the seed of our motivation. Out of our heart comes all of our words and all of our actions. And until Jonah's heart changed, he'd be Jonah running disobeying the pouting prophet. My conclusion today is really simple. We have got to have God change our hearts. We have got to say, God, would you change my heart? Because I am Jonah. Somewhere on that spectrum between running away, between hitting rock bottom, between just obeying God because we know He's going to do his thing anyways. Or becoming angry with God because he has not done things the way that we want them to do. Somewhere on that spectrum, we are Jonah. We need God to change our heart. There's times where I don't know where to begin. Say, God, I know I need to change it. God, I don't know where to begin. And my prayer becomes, God, God, change my heart. God, change my heart. I don't know where to start, but God, change my 
heart. God, take this heart of stone and give me a heart of flesh. Here's the deal. I know that some of you haven't talked to God in a really long time. And you come here today in need. Some of you are here today and you have anger that you need to deal with. You need to repent of. Some of you need to extend grace towards someone else. Some of you have things about yourself that you know that God needs to change. Don't ignore it today. Don't don't run from it. Don't hide from it. Don't justify it. Just repent. Repent. Be soft. Be humble. Be teachable. And don't leave here today without allowing God to change your heart. Let God change your heart. As the worship team comes up, we're going to have an opportunity this morning to respond to God's word.